In the name of Jesus, amen. We've all been taught that it's kind of rude to argue and that debating uh, heated topics isn't really everyone's good idea of, uh, idea of a good time. And this is why our society lives by the unwritten rule, uh, don't talk about religion or politics. And the reason is because you're going to say something that someone doesn't agree with, and then you're going to get into an argument and probably lose a friend or uh, someone throws uh, a drink at you or whatever it might be. Um, and so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to stay quiet, uh, not talk about religion, not talk about politics. Uh, the most important topics uh, that we as a society should be considering and talking about constantly and, and, and consider more carefully, uh, we're told not to talk about. And instead of talking about what's important, people end up gossiping about one another or talking about the Kardashians or bragging about uh, uh, certain things that they have or their life or whatever it might be, things that are frivolous. Uh, nevertheless, the same idea uh, of avoiding contentious topics and arguments crept its way into the churches. And there are pastors and churches that avoid the hard conversation. Uh, this is when you hear pastors uh, uh, refuse to, to preach clearly and flat out say that abortion is murder, or that homosexuality is an abomination, or that drunkenness is shameful, and the list goes on. It's also why you don't hear pastors preach against certain sins and why they don't warn you of false teachings of other churches. And uh, what happens is that these pastors become proverbial yes-men, uh, th those who simply agree to disagree with everyone. And they don't really care how people live their life or what they believe. Uh, they simply want butts in the pew and cash in their pockets, and they'll agree with what you say as long as you agree to stay. And that's typically how these megachurches grow. They just say whatever you would rather they preach. And so this type of theology has its own cliche, uh, believe it or not. Uh, it, it goes like this. Doctrine divides, love unites. And you've probably heard people say it another way. Uh, don't worry about the details. We all believe in Jesus, and that's all that matters. And what they're trying to say is that doctrine, that is the very words, the very teaching of Scripture, which is doctrine, that is teaching, breaks people apart. And because of this, we should focus on, 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 on instead loving one another and just being nice and kind to one another. But this is false. Because doctrine never divides. The true doctrine that is teaching, the, the teaching of God in Holy Scripture, only unites if everyone were to believe everything in the Bible, then there would be only one church. And there would be no denominations, there would be no divisions or sects or cults. There, there, there would, our, our cultural differences wouldn't matter, our languages wouldn't matter, our backgrounds wouldn't matter. We would all be united in one church because if we all believe the same doctrine, then there would only be the same church and that one church. We'd all agree on God's word and be together. But the truth is that doctrine doesn't divide, sin divides. And sin is the reason there are divisions in the church. Sin is the reason denominations exist. And those who don't believe scripture leave the church and then start their own. And then secondly, uh, the second part of this, when people say love unites, what they really mean to say is love ignores, or by ignoring it pretends to unite. Love ignores then differences or divisions or mistakes or corrections, etc. But the truth is that love doesn't ignore. 
Love corrects. Love disciplines. Love does and says what is right even when it's difficult to do so. If a father ignores his son, for example, when he disrespects and demeans others, then that father doesn't actually love his son. A father who loves his son will then rebuke his son, correct him, discipline him, and teach him how to treat others, how to talk to others, and treat his neighbor. To ignore and avoid correcting what needs to be corrected or agreeing to disagree with something that is wrong is in fact unloving. It's better to face the father's rod than the executioner's sword. So consider this now. Consider the gospel text and what Jesus did today. Does Jesus really teach that doctrine divides and love unites? Do you think he went around not caring what people believed, taught, or confessed? Or do you think he just said, look, guys, uh, while he was in front of the Jews, that he says, look, guys, believe whatever you want about me, whether I am God, whether I'm not, uh, that doesn't matter, Uh, whether I speak the truth or whether I don't, whether baptism saves you or it doesn't, whether this is my body and blood or it's not, just believe whatever you want as long as you just get along and love each other. Do you really think that's why he revealed the will of the Father and caused God's word to be written down in Holy Scripture so that we could agree to disagree on it? Of course not. He spoke his word and he made it to be written down for a reason, so that you would believe it. John 20 says, These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So our sinful flesh says, don't argue. But Jesus doesn't listen. Listen, Jesus argues. Today's gospel lesson begins in the middle of an argument, in the middle of a dispute. It was a dispute between Jesus and the Jews, Jesus the Son of God and the Jews who denied him to be that. And Jesus was arguing not to be right or honor himself. He was arguing so that they would believe the truth and so that he would honor his Father in heaven. And Jesus spoke God's word. He wasn't fighting for his own rightness or correctness. He was uh, uh, fighting and arguing for the rightness of God. But the Jews rejected Jesus' word. They refused to believe in Jesus. So nowadays you kind of see the same thing, where you hear well-meaning Christians say, look, pastor, that was a great sermon, that was a good sermon, Uh, but if you would have just preached it in a different way, then those visitors today would have stayed. And they think that, that if we just practice saying God's word in a nicer way, we're going to convert more people. And by nicer, what they usually mean is don't assert the t- truth or be so blunt about it or clear about it and say things clearly and directly as scripture says. Rather, just water it down a little bit so that everyone can find something to agree with. Essentially, they think it's not what you said, it's how you said it. But this isn't true either. You think about this, that no one loves the world more than Jesus, who not only created it, but suffered and bled for the world. No one loves this world more than God, who gave his only begotten Son to suffer and die for it. God is love. This is true. And everything he says is loving. He cannot say something that is unloving. Even when he rebukes our sin, this is still love. Even when he reprimands us for our unbelief, This is still out of love. It's loving because his ultimate goal is not to damn us, but to save us. When he speaks the harsh words of Scripture, the holy words of God, when these words are spoken that tell you and cause you to repent, 
These words are loving because it's to, to seek uh, to save you from uh, hell and eternal damnation. So God can do nothing that is unloving. Keep in mind that everything he says is love and loving, and yet the Jews refuse to believe in him. It's not because of the way he said it. It's because of what he actually said. And the Jews didn't believe or agree with Jesus because they didn't believe in him. So this is what scripture says when Jesus confronts them. He says, which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God. And then look what happens next. The Jews answered him, do we not rightly say that you, have, you are a Samaritan and that you have a demon? And then later on in the text, Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. And then they took up stones in their hands to throw at him and kill him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So as Jesus suffered uh, for the truth, uh, he, he suffered while arguing for the truth. And he was slandered. He, was, he argued for the truth even though it, he got himself into trouble for it. And for the sake of the truth, he lost the love and admiration of the crowds and made his enemies hate him even more. All because he is zealous for the truth, the very truth that we need. He stood firm on his doctrine. And when he stood firm on his doctrine, he stood firm for us. He pled our cause. He defended his own right and, and, and privilege to have mercy on you, to forgive you all of your sins. This is what he was arguing for. He argued with the rulers of his age, and it was this arguing that got him crucified. He spoke the truth, and for this truth he suffered. He was stricken, smitten, and afflicted for speaking the truth. This truth caused him to bleed for us. Yet he bled so that God's word would be true so that all of your sins would be forgiven. And so what Christ defended, he now tells us to defend. What he argued, we too take upon to argue. We shouldn't start fights or be quarrelsome, this is true. We should, however, argue and defend the truth in and out of season. Before you can speak the truth, you need to learn the truth. God's word is truth. The more you hear it, the more you'll speak it. What you hear preached, you'll proclaim. You confess Christ before men, and he confesses you before the Father. You meditate on this word day and night, and this word that fills your heart will then flow out from your heart through your mouth. And then you speak the truth, not, not timidly, but boldly. You speak it unabashedly. You teach doctrine to your children. You have the difficult talk of cohabitation, of marriage, and children with your own children, and you teach them what God says. You seek out and correct other Christians who are mistaken about baptism and the Lord's Supper. You talk theology, and you talk it seriously. And when the service ends, you don't simply return to the cares of this life. You talk about the sermon, the readings, the hymns. You dwell on those throughout the week. You remember them. You form your life based on them. And you don't simply speak the truth to those you agree with. You assert the truth even in the face of the world, even though they may vehemently disagree. The truth is for them also. So know that when you confess the truth, you'll also suffer for that truth, just like Jesus. When you know the truth of God's word, you won't have to seek out your cross or suffering. You won't have to look for a burden. It's going to find you. You'll suffer on account of Christ. You'll suffer in various degrees. When you speak the truth, the devil will hurl a thousand knives hoping to shut you up. He'll hurl names and slander, bad looks, 
people rolling their eyes, people sighing when you confess, laughing when you speak the truth, and with quivering lips they'll scoff and hate the truth that you speak. But don't be surprised because those who refuse to hear and believe that word reject the one who gave it. If our dear Lord suffered in this way for the truth, then we will also. But knowing that his suffering will free you from yours. The devil will try to make you give up this truth, the truth that you hear today, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the one who is the I Am. He will try to make you give up this truth for the sake of popularity or friends or reputation or whatever might allure you. But don't give that word up for anything in this world. Speak it with an intrepid heart. They'll accuse you of having a demon, of being judgmental and arrogant and everything else that Jesus was accused of. But you will be in the right, because what you proclaim will be the righteousness of Christ alone. Insist that baptism gives us new birth and makes us children of God. Don't budge when you confess that Christ's true body and blood are given to the repentant sinner for forgiveness. When you're mocked and when they take stones to lift against you, what escape do you make? You flee to him who pleads your cause, to the one who vindicates you and sets you free. You flee to the word that Christ gave you to keep. Listen to the words of this hymn as I close. And for your gospel, let us dare to sacrifice all treasure. Teach us to bear your blessed cross, to find in you all pleasure. O grant us steadfastness in joy and distress, lest we, Lord, you forsake. Let us by grace partake of endless joy and gladness. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.